the failure of drug war is glaringly obvious to judges, cops, wardens, prosecutors, and millions more now calling for decriminalization, legalization, the end of prohibition. Let us investigate the century of lies. All right, my friends, glad you could be with us. This is Dean Becker. This is the Century of Lies program. Here in just a moment, we'll have on our guest for today, Dr. Uh, Mitch Earlywine. I'm sorry, I'm all tangled up in my cords here. Um, you know, there is no truth, justice, logic, scientific fact, no medical data involved in this drug war as far as I'm concerned. And nowhere is that lack of evidence more glaring and obvious than it is in regards to marijuana and especially medical marijuana and that's uh, going to be the predominant topic of discussion today so let's go ahead and bring in our guest dr mitch earlywine pleasure to be here dean uh, thank you for being with us dr earlywine seems that every day there's uh... more propaganda more reefer madness being spread i i saw where just recently uh... there was a story about marijuana maybe causing uh, the uh, human egg not to stick within the uh, the uterus and not to uh, become a, a human. What's your thoughts on that, sir? In truth, when you look at the fertility data from you know people who've been using cannabis very regularly, at least for women, that doesn't seem to show up in any way that would be disturbing or or harmful to you know reproduction. There is a modest decrease in sperm count in men who smoke eight joints a day per, or more. But in truth, it doesn't necessarily go below normal levels and doesn't seem to decrease the possibility of, uh, you know, insemination of, of actually getting somebody pregnant. I'm concerned about this because I'm afraid teens are going to get a hold of this and say, holy cow, here's my new birth control. I'm just going to get really high and, and count on <laughs> having sex without any birth control. And I'm, I'm really worried about this kind of information getting spread around indiscriminately. Yeah, who needs the morning after pill when you can have the before smoke, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> but again, I, I, I sense that this is uh, kind of from the mindset of those uh, conservatives who are against the morning after pill. Who who are against what they call the counterculture in, in, in itself? Uh, your thoughts, sir? The, the counterculture does it exist? Uh, have have you become aware of instances where that might be proven true? I think the bottom line is there is a prejudice against folks who don't use the drugs that are approved by our you know medical and uh, recreational drug industries. And the ones that uh, don't earn money for the major players are the ones that they want to punish. If you think about, gee, who are the kinds of people who use cannabis? In fact, they're all kinds of range. It's not like there's one stereotype or one certain kind of person who does that. And yet, you know, the government seems to think that, you know, alcohol, Prozac, these drugs are okay. Uh, cannabis, which has a you know a much better history as far as health and wellness is concerned, unfortunately didn't make the cut. If you look back on history and how did you know marijuana prohibition start, and I know many of your listeners are already on top of this, Dean, but uh, you know anti-Mexican sentiment, uh, people who were afraid of immigrants and wanted to have you know a reason to punish them, jumped on cannabis as a as a way to do that before there were really any data in on what the substance did or what the substance was capable of. Well, as I understand it, uh, you have taken some of the data, some of the propaganda, if you will, about marijuana causing schizophrenia and uh, given it uh, a pretty good in-depth look. T tell us about those findings. 
And uh, one of my studies that's just recently been accepted, the idea that marijuana leads to schizotypal personality, which is just sort of a, a schizophrenia light, if you will, is something that I've shown is really based on a lot of questionnaires that are kind of faulty. So one of the items on the questionnaire is, I use words in strange and unusual ways. Well, you know, what marijuana user who's ever said 420 or roach or chronic or anything like that wouldn't say yes to that? And yet that's something that people are misinterpreting as a symptom of some kind of psychotic disorder where you're making up words or you don't understand what they mean or something like that. Once you get rid of items like that with the bias, there's no link between marijuana use and schizotypal personality. And then there are a number of longitudinal studies that suggest, okay, people who, when they're very young, who are very cannabis-involved may end up more likely to develop schizophrenia than people who aren't really cannabis-involved. And yet, you know, we've said time and again that we don't really want to see teens and young folks using marijuana, and the drug war and prohibition clearly isn't helping us. When was the last time a dealer carded somebody to, to see what age they were? Wouldn't a taxed legal market be much better for keeping marijuana out of the hands of children? And if we really did believe that there was some kind of link with psychosis, then we could have uh, a better handle on it. Well, that's the, the case. The, too many times we, we put forward this hysteria that deceives our children in one fashion or another. An example, you know, it doesn't uh, allow the egg to attach to the uterus or that it leads to schizophrenia or that it's the gateway drug. And then when children use it or hear from friends who have used it and learn, it's a fabrication. It leads them, uh, if you will, towards harder drugs, not, you know, n believing that the government is lying about all of them. That's it exactly. You know, we've got new data now suggesting that regular methamphetamine use can really shrink the size of the brain. And when I go to my undergrads and say this, they can't help but ask, hey, wait, aren't these the guys who told us that marijuana you know, causes depression or causes psychosis or something like that? So they're very suspicious now, and I'm afraid we've hurt our drug prevention efforts by these little white lies that have turned out to be something that's really come back and, and you know, really bitten us. Now, you have uh, written on the subject. Uh, please tell them about your, your books, your, your, uh, the books you've authored. Sure. Well, my uh, book, Understanding Marijuana, is by Oxford University Press, and it came out in 2005 in paperback, and it reviews all this literature and all the things that we've discussed. And then my new book, Pot Politics, which is an edited book uh, with a whole bunch of perspectives, is going to be out in September. And I've got an economist and a rabbi and uh, people involved in media, people involved in law, people involved in philosophy, all giving their personal take on what's going on with prohibition and why it needs to be fixed. And I even have a counter voice, a former employee of the drug star's office, who says, no, I think things are just fine. And then everybody can, you know, take a look at all the arguments and, and make a decision for themselves. But I do feel like, you know, not just your readers, but the folks who wouldn't even listen to a program like this need to pick it up and really take a close look. Well, yeah, you mentioned, and, and I, I agree, but many times my guests talk about my listeners would understand, and, and we are, in essence, uh, primarily speaking to the choir. Uh, we do offer cash money to any drug warrior willing to come on the program. $1,200 to spend 15 minutes clarifying the need for drug war. The, the offer's increased over the last four years, but, uh, you know, no one's ever even nibbled at it. And, and I want to ask you, in your dealings with uh, authority, do you find that behind closed doors, people can tend to agree with you more, and yet when the camera goes on or the microphone is put before them, they develop a whole other persona? Is that your perception? 
That is my feel, and it's not that I want to get anybody in hot water, but I'll often, you know, call folks who are involved in law enforcement or in uh, drug enforcement in general, and they will chuckle at some of the ideas I've given or, you know, even sort of nod in agreement but never come right out and say, yes, this war on marijuana is a problem. As Mike Gray has mentioned before, once the marijuana linchpin is removed, suddenly we realize the drug war is really pointless because the number of people who use hard drugs is so small and the amount of money we spend is so large that we might as well just give the people hard drugs uh, a, a you know luxury hotel to stay in it would be cheaper than <laughs> trying to you know chase them down and and keep the war going on once we understand that cannabis really is you know something that should be on the same side with uh, alcohol and cigarettes because it's even less harmful well, I think, on average, the amount spent uh, in each state uh, to house and uh, incarcerate these people, who, you know, for plant products in their pocket, uh, they could, in essence, uh, afford to pay room, board, and tuition to send them to college. It, it is a vast waste of resources. In 2002, I did a computation just suggesting that we spend about $21,000 per marijuana-related bust. I mean, that's... You know, that's just way more than we need to spend on something like that, particularly when we don't spend that much on our high school students. I, I don't know uh, how aware you are of the situation, but it, it seems to get more bizarre that uh, in, in the states that have allowed for medical marijuana, such as California in particular, I want to talk about the fact that the city of San Diego are, are trying to overturn the state law and to give this back to federal authorities, if you will. And, and they talk about the problem that some of these users don't appear to be that impaired. I guess if they're not walking on crutches or in a wheelchair or, uh, you know, uh, have some obvious affliction that they don't deserve to use this medical marijuana. Your, your thoughts are who and what is a medical marijuana user? I think the key that people are forgetting is marijuana is not just a treatment for uh, folks who are dying. You know, this is a substance that can help people long before they get into the dire straits of needing a wheelchair or being so thin that people could recognize them as ill from across the street. I will be the first to admit that not every medical dispensary is perfect, but I think this idea that we're going to come down on all of them because some individual doesn't look sick enough in another individual's opinion is just clearly wrong. In fact, the California law says you need a physician's recommendation. And many, many, many of the physicians involved are extremely careful about this sort of thing. They're eager to try alternative medications first. They're very thorough in their medical assessments. And they're making justifiable recommendations based on good pharmaceutical evidence and, you know, anecdotal case studies that suggest this will help. Sure, there's a bad apple in every kind of uh, pharmaceutical interaction, but I really feel like we're throwing the baby out with the bathwater in this situation and doing markedly more harm than good. If there's any religious or moral um, you know, background for folks, they almost always have the idea that we're supposed to help the sick. And here's a big opportunity for us to do just that, and yet... We're too afraid in order to let it happen. It's it's really a shame because the people who need it most are the ones who are suffering the most. Uh, speaking of propaganda, there was a story uh, circulated in just the last couple of days. I, I know that on the, the West Coast there are uh, those uh, compassion clubs that make various, I, I don't know how to say it, various medicines, uh, be it peanut butter, uh, pancake syrup, candies, 
uh, cakes, uh, other edibles. Uh, some people d don't or cannot smoke, and, and uh, the marijuana provides relief in that fashion. But there was a story about uh, one company was making uh, these gumballs, and they said there was enough THC in there to kill a young child. What is the uh, lethal dose of marijuana? In fact, the idea that there would be enough THC to kill a young child is, is pretty preposterous because THC really isn't a toxic substance. When you look at some of the animal studies, it would probably take smoking two pounds of marijuana for a 160-pound man to get anywhere near some kind of lethal dose. And orally administered THC, of course, is very, very potent. But again, it, it wouldn't, you know, have a, a, a lethal dose anywhere near a normal consumption level. So that's not an issue. Now, of course, we want to keep this, again, out of the hands of children. But I think that this is obviously just a, a hyperbolic bunch of insanity to say that these gumballs could have killed anyone. It's just, it's just pharmacologically impossible. Well, I, I know that uh, corporate media takes the story like the uh, idea that the egg can't implant after using THC. Uh, it, it hit a dozen newspapers I'm aware of in the last week. It's, it's as if the, the media wants to show both sides of a story, real and unreal. Your thoughts, sir, is the media complicit? Have they been a part of this deception? I think what happens is in an effort to show both sides, they end up uh, creating basically the illusion of a controversy when there really isn't one at all. If I came out and said the earth is round, I would you know, hesitate to think that some media reporter would then have to have to have somebody say the earth is flat on the other side <laughs> and yet when we you know we come out and say cannabis is harmless and then someone else has to come up often with no data at all or a single case that has nothing to do with cannabis really and say no i say cannabis is harmful this illusion of controversy which maybe sells newspapers or, or gets uh, radio advertisements paid for really is false under these circumstances and i find it's it's getting us more and more uh, deluded and confused and it keeps our minds off things that really matter things that are much more important like you know war throughout the universe and <laughs> other kinds of economic problems and you know financial difficulties throughout uh, our own area when we can focus on these minor things about uh, really a harmless plant now you underline it there with those words harmless plant i work daily weekly uh... to encourage to motivate educate the listeners out there the choir to to do something to stand up to to speak the truth to begin making this necessary change your thoughts there sir i mean i i talk to uh, you other doctors scientists uh, congressmen you name it trying to bring this truth forward trying to uh, enable it to 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 get people to do something with it what would you say to those folks who know this truth and yet, through their silence, maintain this drug war? I think the key is it only takes little steps. There are so many of us. There are so many people who support medical cannabis, for example. But all you need to do is 
Go log on to the website. Log on to Marijuana Policy Project's website. Go to the normal website and just read and think and maybe give those guys 25 bucks instead of, uh, you know, spending it on your cable bill one month or something like that. And that's all it really takes is just these little baby steps. Nobody expects you to run your own radio show or go out and fight the drug, fight against the drug war on your own. It just takes little steps. The other thing that's come out time and again, and Mickey Norris and Chris Conrad have said this over and over again, those of us who are recreational users, especially those of us who are the most successful, need to be out about it. Yes, I use cannabis, and look at my life. I'm not a drug addict. I'm not having a rough time in the universe. I have problems like every other person, but I pay my taxes, I go to work, and I have a life that I really can enjoy. So trust me, this is really okay. It takes a lot. But it's just little steps at a time, and I think any one of us can do that. Well, I thank you for that. We, we are uh, running out of time. Once again, we've been speaking with Dr. Mitch Earlywine, the author of Understanding Marijuana. Uh, that was from Oxford Press. Is that right? That's correct. And uh, Dr. Earlywine, um, any closing thoughts? I just really want to thank you and all the listeners for taking the time to, to you know, maintain this battle. And I'm really optimistic that we're going to make progress on this. When we see the kinds of, you know, many lies and strange accusations against marijuana we have right now, we know we're seeing the, you know, the tail of the dinosaur flagging here. And we're really making progress. Let's just keep up the good work. All right. And, and with that, I, I thank you, Dr. Earlywine. Thanks a lot. My name is Patrick Goggin. I am a board member of Vote Hemp, a national lobbying arm uh, for the hemp industry, and I'm local counsel for both Vote Hemp and the Hemp Industries Association in California. Well, Patrick, uh, some several states now have uh, some sort of provision that indicates that farmers might be able to grow the hemp plant. California is very close to... Uh, doing something in that regard. Tell us what's happening out that way, if you will. With respect to the other states, they're not. it's not coming to fruition because the DEA refuses to issue permits in a reasonable manner. Uh, in California, what we're doing is we've crafted a law so that farmers in the state uh, could grow industrial hemp without obtaining a DEA permit prior to growing the industrial hemp. Certainly, the, the, the DEA, um, despite the passage of uh, California's AB 1147, would assert that, that, that the farmers need to go through uh, the DEA to get a permit, and uh, we would be prepared to defend uh, California farmers and assert uh, under, uh, under the law that uh, AB 1147, their their right, to, uh, their state right to grow hemp without um, a permit. And in 2003, the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals held that hemp fiber, seed, and oil um, that does not contain uh, the drug element um, are fully legal and were exempted back in 1937 under the Marijuana Tax Act and which uh, in the definition of marijuana in the Marijuana Tax Act was adopted by the Controlled Substances Act. So the way the bill is crafted is the only items that 
of the plant that get into interstate commerce and have any impact on interstate commerce are those parts of the plants that the Ninth Circuit has declared and confirmed are exempt uh, from the definition of marijuana. The way we avoid any impact on interstate commerce with respect to viable seeds is that we limit the use of seed to seeds that are currently in the state of California that uh, grew either historically here are now feral in the state or were some there, there was a program back in the mid 90s uh, done in the in Imperial County east of San Diego County where some seeds were imported under the uh, with with the uh, approval of the US Department of Agriculture, and it was the state attorney general at the time that came in and shut it down. So we we have good, viable seed, and um, we can proceed to grow industrial hemp and, and conduct some breeding programs, uh, and we the, the trade in the viable seed, because the trade in the viable seed would not impact interstate commerce, uh, we have a strong argument that the DEA... Uh, and the federal government would have no jurisdiction, unless, of course, the federal government would like to transfer jurisdiction to the Department of Agriculture. Uh, originally, you, you spoke of the uh, 1937 uh, Marijuana Tax Act declared unconstitutional in uh, Leary versus the USA, I believe, in 69. And uh, that original uh, allowance was for bird seed, for paint thinner, and for uh, uh, other fabrication uh, type products. What are some of the items that the hemp seed can be used for? Oh, it's a myriad of uses. Of, as far as, well, just the seed itself, um, it is a superior source uh, for omega-3 and omega-6 essential fatty acids for humans. Uh, I'm told by, uh, by reputable uh, sources uh, and, and folks within the industry that it exceeds um, salmon and flaxseed as, as a source for omega-3s and 6s. The ratio uh, apparently is the optimum ratio for humans. So as far as products go, we, it's, it's sold as an oil. You just supplant that oil for any other cooking oil that you might use. It, the, the seed itself is... Uh, Used in cereals and uh, energy bars. They've one of the biggest uh, rising products is have protein powder, um, and that ha that market is in fact probably one of the fastest rising markets in uh, the hemp food industries within the and the natural uh, food markets. Additionally, it is a superior oil to be using in. Uh, lotions and soaps. I don't know if you've heard of Dr. Bronner's Magic Soaps, but all of their soaps now uh, in incorporate hemp oil. They're one of the top uh, natural soap producers in the, in the country. So those are a few examples. I mean, there's been talk of use of the oil for a, a, as an energy source, but um, I'm uh, based on information I have. Um, that would not be the best use of the oil. It would be best used for nutritional purposes. We'd use the, use, you end up using the fiber for, say, either uh, part of an ethanol production um, process, or I've heard 
that even what might even be a better um, uh, use of the, the fiber as a source of energy is for gasification and using it in turbines. And, and as I uh, understand it, uh, Chrysler and uh, Mercedes-Benz use the fibers in uh, much of their fabrication for their automobiles. Yeah, the, the biocomposites, they're, they're, they're using it as natural fiber biocomposites. It's estimated that uh, in, Canada, in Europe, the EU will be, various countries will be growing by 2010, 100,000 acres a year uh, for use in automobile parts. And there are the American uh, automobile companies are incorporating it as a company called Flexform that's uh, somewhere in the, in the Midwest. And they're interested in, uh, they, they use hemp right now from Europe and, uh, as fiber, and they would really love to use American-grown hemp. So here we are in the U.S., the uh, multi-conglomerates uh, uh, are buying up all the family farms. The, the farmers need a, a, a product that uh, could be used here in the United States that could help our economy, and yet this is being denied. Uh, any closing thoughts in this regard, sir? Yeah, well, I, I, this is, I, I think many probably of your listeners are aware of uh, all the efforts over the past uh, six or seven decades to um, take down the cannabis plant in all of its forms, both medicinally and industri industrially. And it's, it's really time for the American people to receive a new uh, outlet of uh, education on this subject um, and, and, and stop listening to the spin masters uh, on the far right who continuously want to pull in industrial hemp uh, into uh, some uh, associ association with uh, the medical side when, in fact, uh, you know, the similarity is, is close between a, uh, to a St. Bernard and a poodle. So I would encourage people to uh, do what they can to inform their representatives at the, at the congressional level that, that they want them to support the, the bill at the congressional level, which I believe it's 3037, uh, introduced by Ron Paul last year, and uh, get us back to a common sense approach to our agriculture. This is a, a mid to high level yield crop, and our farmers during this time, as you say, when in the era of agribusiness and GMOs, need a good alternative source uh, of, it's a great rotational crop, uh, it requires uh, much less uh, chemicals in, in its growth and grows superior in irrigation uh, uh, settings. So um, just would appreciate everybody's support. And, and that website, Patrick? Uh, VoteHemp.com and TheHIA.org. Okay, I hope you've enjoyed today's program. I got a, a couple of uh, notes I want to make here. One is I want to note that uh, there's a report that the Lebanese hash has been linked to the Hezbollah. Now, you know, Lebanese hash, I understand, is some pretty good stuff. And, you know, it's uh, highly inflated in price because, well, it's it's illegal. And because it's illegal, these, uh, these terrorists, if you will, are able to... Uh, uh, make a lot of money. Now, I, I'm not pointing fingers. I mean, if uh, a DEA agent were captured and dragged across the Mexican border, would we begin bombing Nuevo Laredo? 
and Monterey? Is that how war works? I think that's uh, there's a strong parallel to what they've done uh, with Israel and uh, that situation over there. Um, want to make note we have a couple of new affiliates, 60 and 61, uh, WMCO, New Concord, Ohio, and WMLN up in the Boston, Massachusetts area. Welcome, my friends, to the Drug Truth Network. I, a closing note, those out there on the, uh, other cities may not quite understand this. Houston leads the world in the incarceration rate of its own people, and just this week the Houston Chronicle reported that they have now finally, after three years, met the minimum standards of staffing to care for their thousands of prisoners. But I happen to know in talking to a couple of prisoners of late that they are still sleeping on the concrete floor, in many cases, certainly on the weekends, and that every day they're still getting their drinking water from the back of a toilet. They still refuse to let reporters like me come and tour the facilities. They even stop the uh, mental health uh, societies from coming and touring their facility. They do have something to hide and we should expose this fraud of drug war because it is the predominant reason that the jails are so full. Well, in closing, I say once again, there's no truth, justice, logic, scientific fact or medical data involved. This drug war is a sham. Please do your part to end this madness. Prohibido is stock, Ivalesco. For the Drug Truth Network, this is Dean Becker asking you to examine our policy of drug prohibition. The century of lies. The show produced at the Pacifica Studio of KPFT, Houston. Our engineer, Philip Duffy.